Welcome to the AWS What's Next podcast in which hosts Nick Walsh and Robert Zhu share the latest news and launches from Amazon Web Services. This is Episode 1. All right, welcome. Good afternoon. And we are here live with AWS What's Next. We're your hosts. I'm Nick Walsh. I'm Robert Zhu. So let's kick things off with a primer. People are probably wondering, what is AWS What's Next? Uh, well, it's a show about getting you up to speed with the latest and greatest launches here from us here at Amazon Web Services. Yeah, and uh, we know that there's a lot of different sources of information you have for getting news about AWS. We're la constantly launching new features, and there's lots of events. And our, the idea that we have here is to kind of bring this to you in a little bit more of a structured format. You know, we want to make this thing uh, a summary of all the announcements with lots of links and information so you can follow up and learn more when you find a topic that you're really curious about. Yeah, we know many of you follow some members from AWS on social media. You may follow along with the AWS blog channels or even find out by just exploring your console and seeing these firsthand. Uh, so we wanted to bring all of this together in one house. But uh, as far as what people can expect from the show, Rob, are we going to be covering new service features? Yeah, well, we have a couple of different kinds of announcements. We mm. have the, the general news in the AWS community, which uh, we'll see shortly. And then we also have a number of highlights that we're going to delve into uh, briefly. There's way too much for us to cover in one segment. Um, and then we also have, as I understand on this segment, we have a special guest. Yeah, no, I know at Amazon here, we are really big on having a seat for the customer in every meeting. So for now, let's imagine that's what this is for. Uh, but later on, the broadcast will actually be joined by a member of a service team who has actually launched a really exciting product. And I hear that it went live yesterday. So you're really getting uh, the news from the ground floor, from the trading floor here, so to say. So we're really excited about this. Um, but we've got our work cut out for us. Rob, what's the format here? I know I mentioned this a live show. What's that all about? Well, the idea is that we want to be able to take questions from the audience as we're going through. So we are monitoring Twitch chat. If you have questions, please post them. And as we go through, you know, we also want to make this kind of fun and lively. So you know, the, the events are, we're going to be moving from topic to topic quite quickly. We're going to be covering a lot of ground. So you, know, you, you really need to pay attention if you want to stay on top of everything. Yeah, we like to joke that we're in front of a uh, very live non-studio audience because there's many of you at home. Rob uh, mentioned that we're live on Twitch uh, here at twitch.tv slash AWS, where many of you are tuning in from. Uh, but additionally, we're live streaming to LinkedIn Live as well. Uh, the idea here being that we have so many launches to cover. We've got a lot of exciting stuff to share with you that maybe you're scrolling LinkedIn on your work break. Maybe you're uh, working from home for some reason. You've got some time to, to you know, tune in. Um, we've got a little something for everyone on this broadcast. So we're really excited to uh, get this information to you in a way that may be a little more accessible uh, than all of the different sources that exist out there in the world. Yeah, and, and as, as you also know, you know, this is not the last set of feature launches. We're constantly launching new features. We're constantly making improvements to our services in response to customer feedback. The intent is that hopefully we're going to be able to run this show on a recurring basis so that we can bring you these summaries, um, ideally once a month, but we're going to try to work on that and make that as regular as possible. Yeah, and uh, you know this may be a sort of familiar format or, or a way of receiving information. If you've ever seen some of Jeff Barr's uh, What's New videos, he usually does these bi-weekly videos where he recaps some of his favorite launches. Um, but those are typically much shorter in length, maybe two or three minutes. Uh, we wanted to explore this over a much you know, longer sort of session. You may have, if you're located in San Francisco or New York, actually attended What's Next in person. Uh, we've been piloting this sort of in-person event structure where we will send service team members uh, and, and evangelists out to help share some of these launches. But we understand that many of you are not located in those two locations. Uh, you may be global, not even you know, within the United States. And so with What's Next Live, we hope to be able to bring you all of that action in sort of bite-sized chunks so that you can be up to speed with everything here from us at Amazon Web Services. Yeah, fantastic. Awesome. So uh, covering this hopefully monthly, uh, we've got a lot of launches to cover. We're going to have a guest later on the segment. But before all of that, we've got a lot of launches that we want to talk about, right, Rob? Definitely. All right. So first up, we've got uh, some news here across a lot of different vectors, uh, whether it's community or, or beyond. We have registration for AWS ReMars 2020 now open. Uh, so for those that are not familiar, we ran our inaugural ReMars conference last year. ReMars standing for uh, Machine Learning, Automation, Robotics, and Space. A really great conference for anyone that's interested in those sort of emerging fields. Last year was also held during the summertime, and this year's will be between June 16th and 19th in Las Vegas. Last year, keynotes included a uh, breakdown of fulfillment center tech, like some of the really awesome robotics that actually run along the, the fulfillment center floors and do the Manhattan-style grid uh, sort of transfer of, of materials, as well as the Amazon Go Store tech. Have you been to the Go Store in downtown Seattle? I, I have. It's incredible. And uh, I think it's, it's some of the, the 
it's the best example of all the technology coming together to form this kind of seamless customer experience. And I understand that we're also expanding the Go store um, to a larger store, I read, and then we're also having more Go stores launched, so it's very exciting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know that if you've ever been to a first-person event and seen a keynote, there are oftentimes these massive screens or multiple screens uh, near the stage. And sometimes there's duplication just so that other people in different parts of the audience can see very well. The Amazon Go store architecture, when it was broken out at Remars, spanned the entirety of the left to right side of, the, of this screen um, with, with no duplication, right? So an extremely complicated sort of piece of technology that's extremely impressive if you've ever gone to see it. It's really a magical sort of shopping experience. You just walk out with it. It feels like stealing. Um, yeah. <laughs> don't tell well, legal I said that, yeah, but yeah, 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 you know that's. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, you're helping them improve the product if you successfully steal something. So, not saying that you you should do it, but you know, if you do, there's some silver lining on it. I, you, you know, you didn't mention the coolest part about Remars. Iron Man was there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Tony Stark or you know Robert Downey <laughs> yeah, Jr. Yeah, Robert was actually Downey. one of the keynotes. So that was a, that was a really exciting experience. Uh, and to, to sort of go along with that type of theme, one of the really exciting things that we unveiled there was like the the Prime Air drone with with video footage as well as having one in on site on the stage where I think it was I don't remember it may have been Jeff he he sort of like pulled the curtain away yeah. and there was this massive uh, air delivery drone for Prime Air. So. Really exciting launches, really exciting people. This year, I know on the docket, we have John Favreau, you know, director uh, and, and mixed media producer from things like some of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as The Mandalorian, if you're fans of those. Um, so he's going to be there talking a little bit about that as well. And we have uh, an all new developer day this year. So last year, we had breakout sessions. We had various sorts of activations and, and announcements. But this year, we actually have a lot of hands-on sessions specifically for developers, where they're going to be able to meet one-on-one -on -one with service teams building some of the services that we have in the machine learning, automation, robotics, and, and uh, even space Field. I'd imagine you know something like Ground Station would be a service team that may be there, but don't hold me to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe we'll see Blue Origin there as well. <laughs> yeah, no, there was. Um, I, I believe there was um, one of the uh, one of the new spacecrafts was actually unveiled last year at Remars and was there on site for people to be able to explore. So cool stuff. That sounds awesome. I want to go, and I think I'm going to have a hard time harder time getting a ticket than you will. So you should definitely take advantage <laughs> of that. And registration is now open. So <laughs> yeah. if that sounded exciting, that's yeah. the announcement we're really happy to make. Please, please, please check that out. If you're in Twitch chat, I'm actually going to be dropping the links to all of these announcements that we're talking about right in the chat so you can see them and follow along there. If you're on LinkedIn, I apologize. It's going to be hard to get those to you. But again, you can always switch over and tune in on twitch.tv slash AWS. Yeah. So in other news, we also have uh, exciting announcements for the AWS Heroes program. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of the HEROES program, this is a program that recognizes individuals that share knowledge within the AWS community and individuals that help build and grow those communities. And this time, we've announced a, a significant expansion of the program. We've announced new HEROES being added in Tel Aviv, Brazil, Norfolk, Nigeria, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Indonesia. This is an international <laughs> bevy of, of fantastic AWS community members. And for the first time ever, we've added four IoT category heroes. Um, you can find them on the AWS Heroes page. It's at aws.amazon.com slash heroes. And what this does is it brings us up to hero coverage for 35 countries. Wow. Uh, that's, you know, if we take a step back, that's kind of incredible. Uh, it just kind of goes to show how powerful the community is around AWS. And this is, the, honestly, the community, I think, is one of the strengths that, we, that, that AWS has that we don't often talk about or we don't talk about enough. Right? The, the ability to go out there and connect with somebody else who's knowledgeable about a particular service or a particular architectural style um, and just kind of talk shop, learn from each other. It's fantastic. And you kind of see this in person. But like you mentioned earlier, you know, the in-person experience is something that we're certainly working on bringing to more and more people. But there will always be people who are working in more remote parts of the world or developing, developing countries who don't have access to this kind of information. And it's just really encouraging to see the HEROES program acknowledge some of the great work being done all over the place. Yeah, I mean, giving recognition to standout community members is something we love to do and do wherever possible. But the reality is that while AWS developers exist all over the world, it's really hard for us to have our boots on the ground in every single one of your backyards. I see here in Twitch chat, one of the viewers, A Capital, is saying hi from Sydney, right? You know, we're streaming under what would otherwise be mainly an American focus sort of time zone right now. And we, we still have viewers from all over the world. So this is a great testament to that. We are really happy and proud of our community heroes that do amazing work, whether they're standout community content creators, helping to run some of the user groups, 
all of that interaction at a global scale would not be possible without them. So again, very excited to be able to announce and recognize some more of these heroes and give a little more nuanced recognition in some of these specialties, right? So IoT, a category we didn't previously have heroes for. Uh, maybe people didn't necessarily have a, a, a clear path to hero ship in the, in the previous iteration of the program. We, we appreciate all of the feedback that we've heard, and we've added this category as a direct result of that. So we're really excited to be able to recognize all of these amazing folks in those categories and across the world in all of these countries. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations to all the new heroes, and we can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah, and thank you for all your hard work. You you make you know uh, so many communities members' lives easier, and, and be and the work that you do is often thankless. But please, please, please remember that we are we are super thankful for your work, and the community members are as well. Awesome. Next up, we've got another uh, final announcement before we get into some of the service updates. AWS has launched the Activate Founders package for startups. So uh, before we get into what the Founders package is, I figured we could do a little bit of a uh, sort of like foundation laying for what, for what uh, Activate is broadly. Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds good to me. Okay, so all right, roll with me for a second, Rob, right? Mm -hmm. Hello? Yes. Hi. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm a startup. I actually just got uh, a nice uh, check for some wonderful funding here. Yeah, it's, it's really going to take me uh, t take me like two, three years of runway. Uh, we're really bootstrapped right now, but uh, we're really excited. Uh, can I sign up for the Activate program? Well, it depends. Are you ramen profitable yet? <laughs> are, are we ramen profitable yet? Uh, we'll have to carry that conversation for another time. But uh, at the end of the day here, if I were able to uh, secure funding from one of our many venture partners, you would previously uh, and still currently qualify for AWS Activate. Essentially, it's a program that we help to scale out our support for startups through a lot of accredited institutions like accelerators and venture capital firms. So you know, if you were able to secure your funding, uh, regardless of how much that may be, through one of these accredited institutions, you'd qualify for some amazing benefits through Activate. Things like $100,000 in cloud credits for the first year or two as well as support funding and lots of other really premium resources. So really diving deep or, or doubling down on that sort of rocket fuel mentality of here's your, here's your infrastructure you can build and not have to worry about sort of mincing like pennies and dimes over trying to get your product to market. Uh, but we understood through a lot of feedback that there are startups that clearly have not yet been able to sort of achieve that level of funding or that level of maturity that still would benefit from a lot of those similar benefits in the realm of support credits and, and cloud funding. So that's exactly what we're launching here. The Activate Founders Package is for those earlier stage startups that may be bootstrapping from the ground up. They may not have achieved funding yet, uh, and they're ready to start taking this to the next level and want to, to sort of have the funding side covered for their cloud infrastructure. So with the Founders Package, uh, this is offering $1,000 of cloud credits, $350 of support credits, and seven trusted advisor checks. So oftentimes, one of the things people are worried about is not just the money to run their infrastructure, but wondering, am I actually running, or am I actually architecting in an optimal way? Uh, because oftentimes, the, the sort of technical debt you may accrue early on could cost you a lot to fix down the line. So instead of just throwing money at some of these companies, being able to offer trusted advisor checks is our way of being able to deliver value from the experts here at AWS to some of those early stage startups. So again, this is all available through the Activate Founders Package. There's a very simple sort of startup form you can use to, uh, to look into that and to, to apply for that. Um, and again, if you, if you get the Activate Founders Package, that does not exclude you from then getting the, the full Activate Package down the line once you've achieved investment from an accredited institution. So uh, definitely get both if, if you have the ability to. Yeah, and, and this is fantastic because anybody who's started a startup or has considered starting a startup, you know, one of the most important things, the most valuable thing is actually your time. Mm -hmm. And I'm guilty of this myself where I kind of prematurely spend a lot of time optimizing away costs. And I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, I built something that will save me $2 a month over the course of several months. <laughs> and then when I think about it, wait, wait a minute, I just spent a week doing that. Is that, when will I make that back? How many weeks of time is that, right? It's so so it's, um, it's often, I think the value here is that it takes that decision off the table. Right, mm -hmm. it's just kind of it's just paid for. You use it or lose it, and that way it frees you up from like, okay, well, I'm not going to worry about that cost right now. That's really what you should the mentality they should be operating in under. Um, I've heard heard other people say like, you know, even before your startup is profitable, you want to basically give yourself a salary. The reason is because there are certain things that you should not be spending your time on. You need mm -hmm. to be paying to have those problems go away because what a startup desperately needs is that coveted 
product market fit, finding a set of yep. users that deeply, deeply love your product. They can't live without it. Mm. That said, it's not like these services are tremendously expensive. You're going to be burning through these credits at all. You know, it's funny you, you brought up a $20 bill. But, you know, just the, <laughs> the other week, I, was, uh, I saw um, a post go through Hacker News that was like, mm -hmm. look at the bill for my serverless architecture on AWS. And it was like hundreds of thousands of visitors, and their bill came out to basically dimes. And it's, it's absurd, right? Because, you know, the $20 bill can, if you build the entire serverless stack, you know, you have on-demand databases, you have Lambda functions, you have S3 buckets, uh, your infrastructure costs are actually very, very low. And I would argue that especially if you're just starting out, mm -hmm. it will take you a long way. So, I mean, something you're alluding to but didn't sort of dance around was actually the free tier. And that's what makes a lot of this possible. Yes. Beyond the fact that, you know, the the costs can be extremely optimized for a lot of these event-driven architectures and with microservice implementations, the free tiers are so generous for AWS services that even excluding Activate and Activate Founders package, there have been entire startups that actually run on the free tier <laughs> of AWS. And, and if you don't believe how this could be possible, you were mentioning like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of requests. AWS Lambda alone, serverless compute uh, as, as in like sort of an event-driven function capacity gives you a million free invocations a month. And I'm pretty sure that other ancillary services that play nicely with it, like SNS, are in the same ballpark of, of amount of invocations per month for free. So again, until you really are hitting very large amounts of traffic, you're not even getting billed out of the free tier, nonetheless uh, having to tap into some of those Activate or Founders credits. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So this is all these buffers of just kind of getting these these uh, mental hurdles out of the way so that you can focus on building the product, focus on finding customers that love your product and growing the business that way. Awesome. Well, that's it for the news section that we've got from us, but we've also got a lot of service updates. And I know that this is the one that a lot of folks follow along through the blog, um, through maybe on Twitter. Some of us post some of our favorite announcements, but we've curated some of the biggest ones in our opinions, and we're going to go through uh, each of them right now. So what's first up on the docket, Rob? Yeah, well, first up, I want to talk about um, a new IM feature for granting permissions for services to act on your behalf. So let's say you have something like a, a CloudFormation template. And mm -hmm. what that's going to do is spin up a DynamoDB instance, and it's going to encrypt data by using the key management service, KMS. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, normally, if you wanted to orchestrate this workflow, you need to give the IM principal privileges to, act, uh, to, to access both DynamoDB and KMS, because DynamoDB is going to end up using KMS. So if you were mm -hmm. to draw out the graph of different service calls and flatten that graph, you'd have DynamoDB, KMS. The account that's driving this workflow needs to have access to both. Otherwise, one leg is going to fail. Mm -hmm. right? But what that's actually doing is it makes the intent a little bit less clear. So imagine that mm -hmm. you're sitting in the seat. You're, 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 you're uh, reviewing these IAM policies, and you're trying to make sure that they abide by the principle of least privilege. They're, um, they're living documents. You want to make sure that they're expressing the intent correctly. Well, you might ask, well, OK, I think this role wants to spin up a DynamoDB instance. Mm -hmm. But why is KMS there? Oh, OK, well, it's because this is a very simple example. And you can yeah. probably keep it all in your head. But you can imagine that you know, there are some really complicated IAM policies out there. And these policies, it, it, it becomes challenging at scale to figure out what the intent of the policy is. And that's what this feature is really targeted at. And with this feature, what you what you can basically do is you can specify a global context condition key. I know that's a lot. Jargon, <laughs> <laughs> let me unpack that. So uh, refresher, an IAM policy, consists of a set of statements. Mm -hmm. right? And each statement has an effect, which is allow mm -hmm. or deny. It has a, a set of actions, basically what actions are you allowing or denying. And then it has a set of resources that those actions apply to. Mm -hmm. But the, the fourth leg of the statement that is less, no, less used, but also extremely powerful is this condition, right? And with the condition, you, ex you can express things like this policy, this policy statement only applies under a certain condition. And what we most commonly see these conditions used for is, well, it has to come from a certain IP address or it has to come from a certain VPC. And this feature is all based on a new condition key. This condition key is, is called, it, it's, the string is AWS colon called via. <laughs> uh, but what it, what it means is basically the condition is that it has to come from some other service acting on your behalf. So going back to our DynamoDB example, KMS can, can basically uh, do its job. So DynamoDB can basically invoke KMS yep. even though you didn't give it explicit permission to do so because it is acting on your behalf. Right. Beautiful. And so, <laughs> and so the, by doing that, you know, what the, the end result is that you have IAM policies that are a little bit more clear. Instead yeah. of, you know, imagine the IAM policy, instead of saying, well, in the statement, what I'm going to do is allow access to DynamoDB and KMS, I'm only allowing access to DynamoDB, 
And then I have this condition key, which is called via for KMS access. I actually see this personally firsthand a lot of the time. I mean, you gave a DynamoDB example, but I do a lot of work with AI and machine learning. And oftentimes when I'm teaching folks how to use something like SageMaker, which is a meta service where it calls out to other services all the time, oftentimes when we're crafting an IAM policy, it's not always obvious that they need to actually give explicit permissions to some of the underlying services. If I've given my IAM policy access to SageMaker, surely that should give it access to some of the underlying infrastructure that it needs to use. But that isn't always the case because of the principle of these permissions. Now, obviously, like you mentioned, this creates some friction. So being able to have this nuance between uh, you know, permissions we're giving directly to individuals and different uh, permissions we're giving to services where it's calling on our behalf, again, it increases clarity, but also increases automation, I think, in some ways uh, that, that can help to remove those roadblocks and that friction for getting started with some of these services. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you know, the, the kinds of customers are going to appreciate this most are the large organizations that have you know, a lot of governance that, that's needed on top of their IAM policies. So they're heavily using organizations. Um, and we'll talk about organizations and other feature-related organizations later. But you know, these, are, these are basically uh, enterprise customers uh, and other customers that have complicated IAM workflows that really sometimes you're reviewing an IAM policy and it's not one that you wrote, right? Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get into this mindset of like, well, why would I ever need this if we have you know, a really high bandwidth channel of communication about what this IAM policy is doing? You know, if you and I are building that startup and we're, you know, we're running on the free <laughs> tier, we know what our IAM policies yep. are doing, right? Yep. But you have to kind of put yourself into the mindset of like, you're now at a large organization. You, got, you have um, you know, 5,000 developers working in your company and they're in all sorts of different departments. Some of them have different permissions. Some of them are using different resources. They have different billing needs. And now you look at this IAM policy coming from some other leaf inside the organization, and you're like, what is this doing? And yep. imagine how much more useful this is going to be for you. And you know, I know this is not directly related to this launch, but well, it's related, but not tied into it. But we recently launched IAM Access Analyzer at reInvent, uh, basically a, a tool that enables you to use formal logic to assess all of the, the, the tracks and branching of your IAM roles and policies and targets. Uh, and so, you know, combining this increased nuance at the IAM permissioning level with that tool to be able to understand what's going on, I think this is a really powerful sort of duo for folks that are trying to get a better understanding and locking down their IAM permission sets. Yeah. Well, I think we could be here all day talking about <laughs> IAM. So I think we need to, we have a lot of other features to, to, to cover. So. What's next on the list? Well, we've got a really exciting one here. So now available through Amazon Transcribe, again, being able to take audio and convert that into text through a managed AI service, we have the ability to automatically redact personally personal identifying information. So I know that's a whole mouthful of a title that's close to the title of the blog post. I'll share it in just a second, but I think I'd rather walk you through an example. It's just gonna be way clearer, okay? Okay. All right, so Rob, you're a customer. You're gonna call me trying to buy a product. Does that sound okay? Yeah. All right. Hi, I'd like to buy 60 pairs of shoes. Hi, uh, Nick's Cloud Shoe Emporium. Uh, that sounds good. Which uh, item are you looking to buy? Uh, I want the um, the really Beep. ugly sandals. <laughs> I want those those sandals that that look like toes, and uh, you know. Oh, so you're looking for a product number? Oh, okay. Sounds good. All right. Can I get your full name? Yeah, it's uh, it's Robert Beep. Zoo and. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, address. Yes, uh, 9815. <laughs> okay, yeah, so you get the point. Essentially, Transcribe is already working on the back end for a lot of these, uh, these co-interacted um, sort, of, sort of service and, and product, um, you know, uh, service and, and product interactions in call centers and beyond. And you want to be able to generate insight, but you don't necessarily want to pass along personally identifying information. Uh, a super common sort of workflow here would be trying to understand what is the sentiment of customers and, co and service re agent reps on some of these calls. So typically, there's either an extremely prohibitive step where people have to manually redact this information, or what I think I've found is more common, a lot of customers and companies are not able to process that data because they don't have a cost-effective way to be able to redact that information and perform the analysis on it. So with Amazon Transcribe, automatic redaction for personal, identif personal identifying information, this is a really exciting way to automate this. It covers everything from credit card numbers, proper nouns around names, addresses, um, social security numbers, and this is all available automatically out of the box, and you can basically just tick tick a new flag with that transcription job and say, like, please redact this information, turn that to yes. Um, and you can also get confidence values for each individual term. So much like most of the other managed AI services, you can set your own thresholds for the level of confidence in which it will redact something. So if you want to say, like, only redact if it is over 80 or 90 or 95%, you can choose to do that. Obviously, everyone's data in the wild is going to look very different. So having this uh, lever to sort of tune enables you to have the exact level of customizability for which which you are either forwarding some of your information to a manual reviewer if it's sort of on the borderline, or automatically redacting it if you think that uh, the if you're confident with the model's response.
Yeah, I think this is a, a fantastic feature. This is so hard to do, even if you already have. So the easiest case if you do for, for this is if you have structured data and you're like you have a telephone column yeah. or an address column, and then you're just like, okay, well we're going to we're going to blank that out. But it's much harder if you have kind of a transcription of the text. And mm -hmm. what we're saying now is, well, if you want to store these records of voice, you also have this capability, and that's that's very sophisticated. I think this is this is kind of one of those things where if you want to do it on your own it's going to be extremely difficult. And the fact that it's integrated and it all works out of the box is fantastic. Yeah, and this really approaches undifferentiated heavy lifting territory. I know you've probably heard this term from AWS folks before, but I think it resonates a lot. Essentially doing work that by solving the problem is not necessarily providing you unique value to your business, or you're not solving the problem in a necessarily unique way. Uh, we want to be able to abstract that as much as possible and offer this in, in, in the form of a service wherever possible so you can focus on making features for your users. So in this use case, me as the uh, developer, owner, and sales rep all in one at Nick's Cloud Emporium running on a $20 investment fund, um, <laughs> you know, we don't have the ability to sort of outsource this. So being able to have this all automatically redacted without having to hire on-site staff to basically build this out, like personal identifying information, regardless of what you're selling or what context it's in, is often the same. Social security numbers, names in their entirety, specific locations, these are equivalent or, or continuous regardless of whether you're selling shoes or cloud services, right? Yeah. Well, let's also connect this with why this feature is so is so timely, right? Because, you know, you, you mentioned you're running this this uh, shoe emporium funded with twenty dollars. Now, what if I what if a venture capitalist came to you and said, uh, "Here's another twenty dollars if you can expand your business to Europe, right?" And suddenly, you now need to basically comply with all these GDPR rules. And one of the things that that GDPR spells out is how you treat PII, personal identifiable information. Yep. And in this case, you just have this kind of turnkey solution to at least eliminate one source of PII. Yep. Right. So it makes it a little bit more easy to get into compliance with GDPR. And I know a lot of companies are struggling with that. A lot of companies are investing a lot of resources with that. This just makes makes that, you know, if you're using features like Transcribe to build a really good customer experience, it doesn't force you to make that trade-off anymore of either having the good customer experience and then having a, a nightmare with PII management mm -hmm. or, you know, not having the good, good experience at all. Now you can have both. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as far as nuts and bolts here, this is available for batch processing transcription jobs and not real-time quite yet. Uh, essentially what this means is that you, if you have a recording, a static file of maybe a telephone call similarly to what we discussed prior, you can pass this into transcription, hit the API endpoint, uh, and you'll get the transcription back. And as one of the feature flags, you can select to omit personally identifying information. And in that transcription, each of those PII elements will be uh, replaced with uh, some sort of marker that says something like PII in brackets or something. It's a consistent, unique identifier. And with that in the metadata, you also get the confidence values. So you know, that, that's all I have to share on that. I know we've got some exciting stuff in RDS world, though. Yes. So I'm going to talk about this feature in a slightly roundabout way. Mm. So let's say that we are using uh, uh, Microsoft SQL Server as our relational database for okay. storing all the different shoes that you're selling at, at, your, at your $20 startup. We've got a lot of them. We've got a lot of them. OK, yeah. So, so the issue is that uh, you know, we have just maxed out that box that we're running SQL Server on. All right? And you as the founder, you're like, this is really limiting our growth. We're getting so many orders, but we just cannot write to this database quickly enough. It's just not taking these orders. Look, I've, I've logged in, and this, all the cores are just pegged on this machine. Yeah. What do we do? Well, one of the things that we could do, you know, if, if, if I were working at this, this, this mythical startup here, is I could say, well, you know what, Nick? <laughs> have you considered overclocking the database? Uh, well, currently it runs out of a shoebox. <laughs> yeah. um, one of the spare boxes for inventory was actually used to retrofit with a server blade. We've just yeah. jammed the database right in there. So I'm scared because it might light on fire. Right. So, so okay. So I, I, you're acutely aware that heat management is a problem when you overclock CPUs. And uh, you, know, you might think that this is something that we don't do in the cloud so much. Um, but, but it turns out that you, you would be wrong. Because <laughs> in 2017, we, we announced the release of one, of one of the most interesting EC2 instances, in my opinion. Now, they all have very difficult to remember names. And, and, I, and this one is no different. It's the Z1D instance. But the Z1D instance is exceptional because this is one of the fastest cloud instances available anywhere. The Z1D instance uses an, an Intel scalable CPU. And the remarkable part about the CPU is that it is overclocking all cores at 4 gigahertz. And it is wow. doing this all the time. So when you read uh, any, any CPU specs about how mm -hmm. fast the CPU is um, you know, when you buy a consumer desktop or a laptop or something, what that, what that number really means, let's say it's like 3.6 gigahertz or whatever, mm -hmm. that's the burst speed. 
That's the speed at which the CPU, uh, the chipset clocks the CPU given certain workloads. And often it only keeps the, the, the CPU at that speed for a limited amount of time mm -hmm. because the CPU is simply not built to run at that sustained, cork, uh, that, that sustained burst clock speed. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that it only does this for one of, uh, you know, either one or two of the, the, the eight or 12 cores that you have, right? You have laptops with like 12 cores these days. Yeah. It's only gonna do this for one of the, uh, or a few of the cores at a time. And so what you're re really not getting the full capability of the of the of the hardware that you're buying but that's not the case with the z1d so the z1d of course is clocking all cores at four gigahertz all the time this is like just permanently overclocked cpu <laughs> that, okay and and so and so when you're overclocking cpus there's always this this trade-off between heat management yeah. and stability that's why the the database example was kind of so ridiculous it's like this is the thing that drives the heart of your business you do not yeah. want to overclock it because if you reduce the reliability of that server then that's not a good move overall, right? But, but if you can come up with a sufficiently good uh, cooling solution as we have done in our data centers, then you have the Z1D instance and you can use the Z1D instance to power SQL Server for RDS. And by doing that, we can take your SQL Server workload and we can scale it vertically, which is something that you don't often hear in the cloud, right? Exactly. But we have that, which, which is another really cool thing I like about RDS is that mm -hmm. it's really kind of, of, of acknowledging and, and, and sitting next to the customer in terms of like, what are the workloads that we want to build for you? What are the, what are the things that you want out of this? But scaling vertically, you know, scaling vertically in the cloud is often sounds like an oxymoron, but we have it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, next time I do the next drop of limited edition Jeff Bezos branded Yeezys, uh, <laughs> when that collab finally comes around, Kanye, let's talk, um, we can actually scale up to that demand and not have our e-commerce site sort of fall over under, under transactional demand, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Looking forward to it, awesome. <laughs> well, next up, we've got another uh, sort of, I wouldn't necessarily call that a cost savings, more, more of a scale of performance related launch. But here we have something that's really exciting to me. So I'm uh, going to preface the launch with sort of a, a little bit of a historical take. So in the past, when we wanted from a in AWS to offer discounts for committed compute workloads for customers, that took the form of something called reserve instances. Essentially, if you were to know some sort of stable amount of workload for compute that you would use over the course of a year, you could prepay for a um, amount of that compute infrastructure in the form of EC2 instances. And I believe there were some other uh, capacity providers as well that you could use there and prepay essentially for a bulk discount over the course of the year. And there's a, this is not you know a one-on-one -on -one sort of sales oriented uh, processes is entirely productized and available in the console with, with known rates. Um, now, we heard a lot of customer feedback around that, uh, particularly around being locked into certain instance types and not being able to pro project or predict workload needs down the line. If, if someone were to refactor their architecture, they wouldn't be happy if I had dropped my entire $20 on EC2 instances when I had then refactored and wanted to use Lambda. So at reInvent, we launched something called cost savings plans, which are more of a value-oriented and value-driven approach for customers. Essentially, prepay for certain classes of compute or classes of, uh, of services and then you have more flexibility to be able to delegate those credits as applicable to those given services. And so we launched that at reInvent, really excited about that. Uh, but I'm even more excited because we've now brought savings plans to AWS Lambda, something that reserve instances didn't necessarily cover before. So folks that had already migrated to Lambda didn't have a way to sort of prepay for compute at scale. And so with the savings plan update for Lambda, with no changes to your code, if you have some sort of bottom or, or floor for your workload, you can save up to 17% without changing any of the code in your infrastructure. That's amazing. And yeah, and the other thing is, um, you know, one of the, the details I wanted to add here was when you're using reserved instances, the savings plan has been around for a while. And I think the, 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 uh, the new features and the new capabilities that you're referring to are the, is the flexibility that your savings plan now covers a whole bunch of different kinds of deployments. So you can switch architectures, you can switch operating systems, you can switch regions. And th this is kind of the flexibility that we didn't have before when you're purely working with reserved instances. And just to kind of give you a scope of that, when, when you commit to uh, reserved instances, um, if you commit to the max amount of usage, I, I forget the exact details, there's lots of variables that go into mm -hmm. calculating how much you can save exactly. But at the very top end, the savings cap out at about 73%, which is significant, by yeah, the way, yeah, right? which exactly. is significant. And I just wanted to say that this new feature also, you know, just savings plan alone, not, not talking about Lambda, mm -hmm. um, that flexibility, when you pay for that flexibility, you, you cap out actually 67%. So in both cases, you know, it's, it's, it's slightly less maximum savings than just pure reserved instances. Yep. But what you're getting, I would argue that the difference is very small. 
Um, it's probably not going to make or break your business, but uh, you are paying a small amount for a massive amount of flexibility. And exactly. with, with Lambda, I think that's just kind of taking it even further, right? Like now beyond just instance-based compute models, mm -hmm. we have function-based compute models and the savings plan. Is, I think savings plan, this is one of the most common feature questions we always get is like, how can I optimize costs for my AWS yep. infrastructure? And I think this the, the reason why this announcement is so popular is because it's directly answering that question. These are all the different ways that you can save money on AWS. Yeah, it's not uncommon for a lot of uh, teams to build directly on on-demand uh, class or types of, of infrastructure at first, but then once you have an understanding of what your workload's looking like and the direction it's heading, things like the savings plan and previously reserved instances were a great way to save money. Additionally, another really great call out here, despite the fact that there's no launch, is you know, spot. Um, EC2 spot instances are essentially being able to pay up to, you know, a or as low as a tenth of the on-demand cost for spare capacity, uh, where the only gotcha is really that uh, in very rare instance, incidents, uh, the instance will shut down, but you're given all sorts of uh, you know, in-instance notifications and events to be able to build fault-tolerant resilient and resilient applications around that so that the interruption can be manageable. So between the savings plan and the ability to scale up arbitrarily and do workloads with EC2 spot, there are a lot of really exciting cost optimization tricks you can do uh, on AWS that a lot of folks you know, de dedicate entire teams to at scale, uh, being able to refactor architecture on some of these primitives that we offer to customers. Yeah, definitely. So I want to move on to another announcement here. We have stack sets, features to the stack set, improvements to the stack sets feature for CloudFormation. Oh, that's a mouthful. Let me try to unpack that. For you. Okay, <laughs> so when you're building a, a complicated application on AWS, there are two common useful features that customers use to kind of make sense of their infrastructure. One of them, of course, is the ever popular CloudFormation. And with CloudFormation templates, you basically have infrastructure as code, right? And, and, and actually, even if you're using the CDK, it's still CloudFormation underneath. CDK, well, it generates yes, CloudFormation yes, templates. Yes, yes. Yeah. So CloudFormation, you could argue, is kind of the declarative approach to infrastructure as code, whereas CDK is kind of the imperative. Ultimately, it's, it's making sure that it, the CloudFormation is the is the transport format, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. right? And then the other the other technique that's commonly used is to uh, use AWS organizations. I kind of mentioned this earlier, and it used to be the case that AWS organizations was primarily used as a billing mechanism. Right? Mm -hmm. in, in early on, you know, you'd say like, okay, well, this department is using this part of AWS, this department is using this part of AWS. Instead of just seeing one all-up bill that's you know X dollars, I want to know what is what the attribution is. Yeah. Right. That way, I know who to yell at. <laughs> um, <laughs> or or who, where, what team I need to hire someone to optimize yeah, yeah, their yeah, bill yeah, for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But as, as we've seen AWS organizations evolve we've seen customers increasingly use it to do things beyond billing, right? Yeah. We've, seen, we've seen it uh, for access control. We've seen it for implementing general security policies. We've seen it for just kind of um, understanding which organizations are even you know, uh, um, on schedule for certain projects. It's, it's kind of crazy how flexible this tool is. And as we saw the, the conjunction of CloudFormation and organizations become more and more common, we realized that we needed to build a tool to kind of help customers navigate this area. And so 2017, we launched this feature called Stack Sets. And what that does is it can help you deploy a CloudFormation template or what we call Stack mm -hmm. inside an organization so that multiple accounts within the organization all get it. But what we're announcing here is a set of improvements to the Stack Sets feature. And these are all generally quality of life improvements. So, you know, for example, um, in the, the, the new experience makes a little bit more clear exactly how your stack is going to be, be rolled out. Um, uh, just to clarify, the way that the stack set rolls out is that it goes region by region. Mm -hmm. So it basically says, for this region, everybody under this, this target organization, we deployed the stack under all those accounts in parallel. And awesome. then we move on to the next region and the next region. And this has always been the way that stack sets did this, except that we're making it a little bit more intuitive and we're adding capabilities within the console so that you can rearrange the order in which you deploy to some of these regions. But the, the one interesting functional feature that they've added is that now you have the ability to say what happens when a user leaves or joins the organization, because this is very common, right? So upon yeah. adding a, an account to an organization, should you spin up the stack set in, in response? And mm -hmm. then upon leaving the organization, should you spin down the stack set? So I think that's a very useful feature to have for, um, for one of these meta services like, like stack, stack sets and uh, for CloudFormation organizations. Yeah, these quality of life improvements coming directly from the use cases we've seen customers applying stack sets to in the wild. And, and you, like you mentioned, there are a lot of intended, but also some unintended use cases for, for sort of separating church and state or organizational lines for an architecture level. And so I think these improvements start to marry this more into a more atomic sort of structure for the organizational unit. 
um, as far as separating your architecture without having to make it feel like it may be a workaround or an arbitrary sort of distinction, whether it's like a line of ownership or whether it's um, what parts of your application should be able to communicate with other parts. Yeah. Awesome. We have one final announcement here as far as service updates before we get into the demo that will be here filling this seat in, or, or the guest that will be filling the seat for the demo. Uh, and that is Amazon Connect, making it easier to customize the caller experience by adding attributes to existing contact flow blocks. Okay, another mouthful, man. These, <laughs> these blog post titles, they're very descriptive. They, they have a lot of information packed into well, them. Well, that's what we're here for, right? Because we know that you know, when you read one of these things, first off, you, know, you can imagine <laughs> building a, t a text analyzer to just you know, strip out the, the word Amazon, and then it becomes more readable, and then strip out this other thing. But, but anyway, we're, that's exactly why we're here, right? We're, we're trying to take these uh, you know, somewhat dense titles and you know, mm -hmm. maybe um, slightly bare-bones summaries and, and adding a little bit of context to it. Yeah, and I think another thing that's uh, also really common that we're trying to access here with the show is that even if maybe one of these services or one of these uh, subject matters is not something you work with directly at your organization, there's a really good chance that someone at your company does. So if you see one of these feature launches that's really exciting, please forward that along, whether it's the video, whether it's the blog post that we're linking in Twitch chat. We're super happy to be able to get this information into your hands. So without further ado, Amazon Connect uh, custom... Uh, flow blocks attributes. So uh, I think, again, let's go back to the call analogy. So maybe I'm a customer service rep. You're calling because you're unhappy with your Jeff Bezos x Kanye West collaboration shoes. I don't know. They just... <laughs> They, they, they just, the, the quality was not as, as you expected yeah, yeah. for some reason, right? And, and so on these sort of customer service calls, something that's really common is there are certain points in which there are call dialogues that can either be completely automated through maybe some sort of automated system that's listening to your responses and it will route you to a customer service rep accordingly, or at certain points in the process where a customer service rep needs to uh, acquire a certain piece of information and then put you on hold before going to do something, for example, like running maybe running your order or, or figure some, figuring information about that. Now, what this launch essentially does is, uh, in that entire network of contact flows, there are a lot of points in which uh, there are common use cases like, okay, piece of information has been acquired from the customer, like an order number. Now, the call rep has to go in and look into that. Now, this like entire sort of state action machine in, in the Connect workflow has often been completely manually coded. And Connect offers a lot of tools to be able to, to, to tie these together really easily. But what Flowblocks and the, the added attributes here now enable us to do is similar to like if you've used event triggers for something like AWS Lambda, you can more easily route the uh, requests or the response based on the attribute that was pulled. So for example, uh, if the customer service rep says, hey, I'm going to put you on hold right now, that is that like that event, like putting on hold can be an automated attribute trigger for playing some sort of uh, hold music, for example, as opposed to having to completely codify this manually. So again, if you're not working on building contact flows through something like Connect, this may not sound very revolutionary, but essentially imagine taking a lot of the big breakpoints in the state machine and sort of chopping them down in half, I'd argue. A lot of the time that these are like very common sort of workflows, regardless of what subject matter you're working in, uh, and having these available as sort of uh, you know first-party attributes that we can collect and, and design event triggers around are, are really really awesome. Yeah, and and also just kind of backing up for a moment, I think Amazon Connect as a, as a service has a has a fantastic opportunity. It's, it's addressing mm -hmm. this. You know, it, it it is basically the if you think about it, your customers if they're unhappy with your product or your service, Connect is the first experience that they have. Yeah. Right. So, so any effort you spend there is directly impacting the relationship that you have with your your the customers that are having the most problems with your your service. So, I think any improvements in this area are going to be uh, they're going to have outsized impact. Yeah. Uh, from the blog post itself, I think the number that we have found that is that is very common here is almost up or upwards of 40 plus percent of, of some of these state and actions within connect workflows are actually uh, undifferentiated heavy lifting as we said before and that's where this launch here with the attributes for existing flow blocks will really come into play it will simplify your existing contact flows if you're looking to implement or haven't implemented yet it will make it drastically easier and simpler to be able to implement them and you know that that's what it is uh, you know again not something that you know uh, sounds very revolutionary, but if, if you told me that I could reduce the amount of code I had to write or the number of nodes in a, in a cluster or the number of, of moving parts in a machine, I could reduce that by 40%. I'd be pretty excited about that. Yeah. All right, well, that's it for the service updates, but we have one more, and that is where we are going to bring a guest out here to the desk. So for our last big announcement today, we're talking about one that went live yesterday, and that is template personalizations with machine learning for Amazon Pinpoint. 
So here to tell us a little bit more about that is Senior Product Manager from the Pinpoint team, Chelsea Graff. Stick around, we're going to be right back in just a moment. on the desk here at AWS What's Next Live to talk a little bit about template personalization using machine learning for Amazon Pinpoint. We're your hosts, Nick and Rob, and we are joined by Chelsea Graff. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. And actually, before we kick it off, I saw you guys were looking for a phone earlier, so just in case you need it in the future. Oh, man, I didn't even know we had one back there. Oh, man. Lost opportunity. We got. Is this like Next the Amazon time. Fire Phone prototype? That's what I call it. Oh, <laughs> got to start simple. MVP. Yeah. Yeah, MVP, yeah, yeah. right? Like exactly. Here, let's, Most let's viable phone, right? <laughs> MVP. <Yeah. laughs> so, all right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mentioned it before in, in the intro, but we're talking today about a really exciting feature for Pinpoint, personalized, uh, personalized templates with machine learning. Can you walk us through a little bit about Amazon Pinpoint for those that may not be familiar with the service? Absolutely. So Amazon Pinpoint is AWS's marketing and messaging communications service. Mm -hmm. We work globally across a number of channels, including SMS, email, push, and voice. And it's really, it's interesting because when we talk to our customers, what we're hearing more and more is there's this evolution of marketing right now. It started out with mass messaging, we moved over to segmentation, and now we're in this era of personalization. And what that means is when a business is trying to talk to their end user, their end users expect them to have a personalized piece of content specifically for them and to have a consistent experience across all of their touch points, whether that be mobile, web, or a messaging channel. And that's really where Pinpoint comes in. So Pinpoint enables all of our customers to keep track of their audiences, to segment them, um, either using dynamic or static segments, and then to be able to create campaigns and journeys so campaigns could be something as simple as a mass blast because there's a promotion, mm. or it could be a drip campaign that says, you know, you're a new user and you started with us, and over time we're going to send you a variety of emails to make sure that you're up to speed and you're really interacting with us. And by creating that personalization, they're building loyalty with their end users. They're giving them the best experience possible. And then the last stage of it, Pinpoint collects a lot of the data back around that engagement. Mm -hmm. So marketers can know how well their campaigns work so they can continue improving that engagement over time. So to make this a little more tangible compared uh, to bring in the example we used before with, with Nick's Shoe Emporium, we'd yeah. want to serve custom recommendations for sh maybe shoe sales to some of our customers based on what their preferences or search history may be. Does that sound about right? Exactly. Spot on. It's making sure that you're getting the right message to the right customer at the right time. Awesome. And I know it always feels like a sort of jarring experience when we're advertised things that have nothing to do with our interests or not something we may have uh, no desire in buying, right? So being able to have this this end-to-end -end sort of tied together personalized experience, especially cross-channel, is something that's typically really hard to build and Pinpoint helps to take care of that. Exactly. Spot on. So that's Amazon Pinpoint. And I understand we, you know, we just recently announced this new feature. Can you take us through the story? What was the light bulb moment when you realized this, this feature was necessary and it was going to create a significantly improved experience for Pinpoint users? So taking a step back a little bit and maybe telling you about the feature in and of itself, within Pinpoint, we enable our customers to create templates across a number of messaging channels. And that way they have a, a reusable canvas that they can send out to their customers as a message. As we started talking with our customers more and more, we kept hearing, I want to use machine learning. I can create one mass message. I can then start to use some attributes that I understand about a customer to do some population, say a name, uh, a location, I identities like that, put that into a message. What I really want to do is I want to be able to predict what they're going to want. I want to give them a recommendation that I know they're going to act on. But there are these two really big barriers to using machine learning and marketing. First one that I kept hearing again and again was, I don't have a data science team. And since I don't have a data science team, I don't know how much benefit I'm going to get from building a model and building the team, and therefore I'm not going to invest in it. And it was just kind of this the chicken and egg problem. The lucky part for us at Pinpoint is that AWS is already solving this. We have this giant portfolio of ML and AI services. And within that, specifically for this feature, we're working with an AI service called Personalize. And what Personalize does is it is an AI service that helps you build recommendation models 
regardless of your skill as a data scientist. Mm -hmm. So if you are a data scientist, you can use it to build and tune a model. If you're not, you can give it some basic data like user profile data, behavioral data, and product data. Put that in and it'll pick a recipe or an algorithm for you and then train a model and publish it. And that way you have a model ready to recommend products. The second barrier that we then run into when we're talking to marketers is, I have this model, what do I do with it? Do I need to build a custom integration into my marketing platform every single time that I wanna use it? And that's what this feature that we're launching does. The, we make it so the answer is no. We're providing a feature where marketers are empowered to pick the model of their choice that's already integrated with Pinpoint and then use that in their, their messaging for dynamic attributes that can be populated. Yeah, I mean, this really two major core functions sort of married together to, to offer an end-to-end -end experience. So what I'm actually gonna start out with is how you integrate a model with Pinpoint. We've added this new tab called machine learning models. And I wanna be clear when I'm talking about this, we're not actually building or hosting a model within Pinpoint. All this is is a configuration that allows you to call to personalize. So you'll train a model and personalize using that simple interface, and then you'll be able to publish out all of those recommendations through Pinpoint. Once you've published it out, you can send a message and you can collect that data back to be able to retrain your model and iterate. Uh, it'll get better and better the more you use it. I can add a description. Now, the reason this is important is because in a lot of cases, this is gonna be a data scientist who's actually integrating the model. Then they'll publish it and a marketer completely autonomous of that data scientist can use it to add to their templates. So this description is really what tells that marketer what models they're picking. Uh, one, one call out I was going to make there is you mentioned maybe the data scientist will have created the model, but with personalized because it's fully managed, uh, developers that can pass in that historical data or even data analysts can create that model. So we mentioned before that not everyone can have data scientists, but to use this feature or to use personalized, it's not a necessity. No, perfect call out. It, it really can be anyone. Yeah. Um, I'm not a data scientist and I absolutely got to build a model. So it's, it's pretty simple. You can pick either an endpoint or a user. Both of these are concepts within Pinpoint. And really all that's important is that what you have within Pinpoint is tied to what you train that model as. I trained my model using endpoint. And the next option is the number of recommendations I'm going to get back. So this is the number of recommendations you need for an individual person. So the example I'd give here is when I'm looking at pastries, am I gonna show you just one item or am I gonna show you three? And it'll be a list of the top recommendations in order. So in this case, I'm just gonna say three items that'll look nice in an email. The gears are already turning in my head. I can imagine, and, and like thinking about how I've been advertised and marketed to, it's like <laughs> there are some advertisements or marketing material where I feel like I get one item that's like massive and there's like a, a giant picture of it for food maybe even. It may look beautiful. And then other times it may be, hey, here are just a bunch of recommendations that we think may be you know, in your wheelhouse for something you'd, you'd be interested in purchasing. So like, I, as someone who hasn't used Pinpoint personally, I start to see sort of the, the value as someone who wants good targeted advertising here directly in the, in the levers we get to tune. Yeah. It gives you as much flexibility as you want as a marketer to be able to build what you want. Uh, and then the last option that you have to pick is how you actually process this. Mm -hmm. So uh, Personalize is going to send you back a string. It can be a string directly from the model, and that can be anything from a product ID, which is fairly common, to an actual HTML blurb. So either of those can come back and you can choose to just pass that straight through and continue on. If I wanna add more to what that response is, I can do that using a Lambda. Mm -hmm. uh, so you were talking about Lambda a little bit before, uh, same concept. I hop in here and I say I wanna use a pre-configured Lambda and what this does is say I get a product ID back. I can then use the Lambda to look it up and I can get a product name, an image, a description, maybe a URL. And I can use all of those individual attributes when I'm building out my template. We actually have a question from the chat from a BSD guy asking, with interacting with customer engagement data through an app or through SMS, does that get imported into Pinpoint or does Pinpoint sort of orchestrate and manage all of those individual channels? So when dealing with customer engagement through either SMS or email channels, uh, does that have to be integrated initially through Pinpoint or does Pinpoint work with other existing channels that you're already sort of logging your customer data through in, in engagement? So all of those channels are already integrated within Pinpoint. Okay. But all you need to do is configure those within Pinpoint, and then you can create a segment, and as you create your campaign, you select your, your channel, your segment, and then you, your message template. Great. So you can actually load attributes that are already associated with your user profile within Pinpoint. So it'll pull in for each of our, our endpoints or our users. It'll be able to pull in that first name when it sends the email. Now, for the fun part, <laughs> what we're doing with ML. 
and we can actually connect our models directly. And then again, all it is is copy and paste. Chat, can we just appreciate how cool this is? This is, this is we are living in the future. I, I, I think the fact that we have no hover cars, but we have this instead is a fair trade. I can be advertised the right hover car. That's the important thing now. I can find the right one. Yeah, you can recommend the right hovercraft. But a machine learning model can tell you what the right one is to recommend to you. Exactly. We'll make sure it's in blue and not red. It'll be fine. No, this is so cool. I mean, I've spent you know a good amount of time in different email services or customized services, and we saw there at the top pulling in pre and pre-known static attributes like name is is sort of table stakes nowadays, right? Like that is the bare minimum for personalization. But being able to now take a machine learning model that was you know using personalized fully managed you don't have to be a data scientist to use it and through us like in five minutes a sequence of clicks to the GUI we now have uh, completely custom automated recommendations being served to customers like that's so amazing like I I don't even like the the amount of work it would take to build this from scratch is immense and you would need an entire team of people you need a, a data scientist you need a software engineer you'd need um, maybe the person a data analyst collecting all the data to pass along for the training like this is amazing how quickly this enables you to, to implement these, these personalizations. Yeah. And the super cool part is that it's not just one model, right? A lot yeah. of times it's, you do all of this, you get one model in and then you have to keep reusing it. This, anytime you retrain one and personalize, you can publish it directly here and you just start testing. And then all that data that you collect off it, you can use to retrain. Yeah. So it's a perfect flywheel. Wow, that's, that's amazing, yeah. It really is amazing. And another one of the things that you mentioned that I wanna hear a little bit more about is this, this idea, you know, because you mentioned AI service, and at mm -hmm. AWS, that actually means something specific, and we say AI service. But when we think about AI and ML, we actually have three tiers of uh, how products and services that we, that we have there, right? We have the AI services, um, which are kind of turnkey, but you kind of to your point that not everybody can go and hire data scientists, ML specialists, um, but these AI services like Personalize, they have the ability to operate at a level where you don't need that hands-on expertise, you don't need that in-depth training, yet you can still get a lot of rules and frameworks. One last thing I'll say on Personalize is that, you know, let's say we're sending out a, a ton of emails, right? Chelsea's Bakery is killing it. They, they took their $20 of venture funding and they stretched it. They, <laughs> they went to the moon and back. They're, they're a global organization now. Yeah. You're sending out emails to maybe millions of customers globally. You know what your sort of uh, infrastructure looks like on the email side, and Pinpoint probably handles all of that for you. Customers are probably wondering, you know, how do I think about scaling out the machine learning here that happens mm -hmm. under the hood? And Rob said here at the AI managed services layer, it's the highest level of abstraction. And customers only worry about the number of personalizations they've created, and all of that infrastructure is automatically scaled under the hood. So there is no new bottleneck that gets introduced by implementing this machine learning feature for Pinpoint. Exactly. Again, you can add in title and then say, I want the description specific to this. Same thing. Copy, paste, and we're good to go. While we're, while we're pacing this in, we mentioned before the first name and last name uh, and some static attributes or table stakes, but Ian said in the chat, uh, you know, I think we've all received those emails that say like percent first name in all caps, percent last name. Uh, hi, we've specifically chosen you for this prize, right? No, we, we've seen that uh, the bar is low for a lot of organizations, but we try to raise the bar here at AWS. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually a phenomenal transition. So thank you very much for that question. Once you put in your recommendations, you get your defaults. Awesome. So you're never going to get ampersand or space. Um, you enter those in, you save it, and then that will render in the case that say the name here isn't isn't a tied to your endpoint, mm -hmm. um, isn't available, or if you don't have a recommendation back. So you're good to go. Something that came to mind, uh, we mentioned before that you could either return the raw result from the personalized model or the Lambda. The world is your oyster when you start taking that personalization and putting it into a Lambda because you can do crazy things like dynamically generating coupon codes and QR codes that you serve directly in a personalized email to a customer. And like obviously you would want your engineer to write that code in Lambda, but it's all self-contained. You know, like the amount of moving parts here that you don't have to worry about in terms of how they're connected together is, is just immense. It's such a seamless sort of integration. Exactly. We well, want to make it as simple as possible. Kind of riffing on that, when you call into the Lambda function, uh, besides passing that one recommendation identifier, let's, you had, in your example, you have mm -hmm. the product code, right? Is that the single piece of information that you pass into Lambda? So 
Personalize can return a string of anything. Mm -hmm. So we are passing back whatever that string item is, but it oh, could okay. be anything. Okay, so it could be a, a JSON blob with the product ID and then a bunch of context information about who this is being recommended for. And that way we can do the, the, the customized coupon code thing, right? It's just as simple as personalized returns the item, but you already have most of that profile data already stored in Pinpoint. Mm -hmm. So that's where that custom attribute capability comes in, I is see. if you already have demographic information saved, your name, your location, um, I don't know, your your favorite um, neighborhood to shop in, you your might already know that. Yeah, your birthday even, I don't know, you can yeah. send ads if their birthday is within the next month or something. Exactly, yeah. so it's, the nice part is you can actually populate from both places. And there was a question before about how I choose a channel. Mm -hmm. All I've done is I went into settings beforehand. I set up my settings. I can do that for email, SMS, push. Um, and I can just select which channel I want to use here. Right. So I created a template for email. I can similarly create an SMS template and add a recommender model in the exact same way. So you can work across all the channels. Wonderful. Um, uh, I see we can also launch an A-B test campaign here so that we can A-B test this personalized version against the version that Ian prefers with Ampersand, first name, last name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See what we're doing. I mean, I, I feel like at a certain level, the reverse engineering, the reverse psychology here would be like, dear Mr. So-and-so, <laughs> we have a generic recommendation for you. It might actually get some pretty interesting clicks. <laughs> I, mean, I think we should try it. Yes. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is we can try it very easily with the A-B test feature here, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So you can, you can baseline, which is really nice. Yep. Um, I have custom attributes, and then standard attributes are actually ones that are provided if I've integrated my pinpoint campaign with Amplify. Um, so that's streaming in endpoint and events data from a mobile or a web app. I can pick when I want to send, so I can send immediately. I can make this a daily email if I want to do that. I review and launch. Great to be able to see the, the metrics directly in here in the Pinpoint console. You don't have to go somewhere else to see the number of, of transactions that were sent through like SES or something. It's, it's all sort of in one place. Exactly. Wow, that is excellent. Really what it's showing here is that I can make sure that the message that goes out to each one of them is what resonates most with them and really is going to get them to come and, and visit my store. Yeah. Wow, that's that's awesome. I'm really impressed by how seamless the end-to-end -end experience is. And I know that anyone who's already working with Pinpoint, this is sort of a no-brainer feature to, to if you're asking whether you should implement this. I know people may have to play around a little bit with personalize and, and get some of their historical data and throw that in. But I think the um, manual A-B testing versus automating A-B testing with, with these machine learning campaigns is, is going to be night and day in terms of performance. Absolutely. And I'm very excited to, to talk to our customers as they start to use this a little more. This is so incredible. This is a seamless experience, but underneath, it's stitching together so much. And that's what I really like about these. We'll call them kind of meta integrations, right? This, this is so powerful. The fact that this can now overlay on top of the existing capabilities of Pinpoint, where you have this multi-channel mechanism for reaching customers. Now you, you now have the ability to personalize the message to reach them over the right medium. You have the ability to track the metrics and the campaign. That's so powerful. And that was the goal, really. We didn't want to make something that was a split experience. We didn't want to make you leave and come back. It was supposed to be as easy and seamless as possible to create the best message for your customer. So that was the end goal. So glad to hear you guys uh, think we hit it. I think it's amazing. Awesome. I, you know, really quickly before we wrap up this segment, I mean, customers that are using these types of recommendations out in the wild, I know people are asking for examples. I know Domino's actually uses Personalize, which is powering the recommendations here uh, to be able to serve customized sort of uh, like coupons and, and discounts to folks. So if they know what pizzas or, or various things that you would get at Domino's you enjoy, they can send uh, coupons that are specific to you that are more likely, likely to result in you being happy and ordering pizza at a discount. But obviously, pizza is not the only shop in the game here. We, we see that there anything that involves customizing messages to be delivered to customers is sort of someone that stands to benefit from the service. Exactly. It really is anything you train on. So any item that you have in your product portfolio, you can use Personalize to train on. Well, Amazon sells cars nowadays. So uh, you can go on Amazon.com and search for entire vehicles. So maybe you'll get recommendations for vehicles in your emails coming soon. Only if they're hovercrafts. Only if they're hovercrafts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, I, I know where we're going with this. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, we've got a few uh, closing things to take care of. But in the meantime, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming out, Chelsea. I know the people in chat definitely appreciate it. And we're really excited to see what folks do with template personalization using ML for Amazon Pinpoint. Well, thank you both very much for having me. And I look forward to coming back in the future. Uh, we've got a lot, we had a lot of launches that we covered today, don't we?
Yes, we certainly have a lot of information that we covered. Exactly. Again, hard to follow all the channels, but with this show, AWS What's Next Live, we want to be able to bring this to you in a more digestible manner. I, we've covered a lot of launches, and I actually want to sort of tie those into some of the examples we've been giving along the way. Obviously, when you're trying to architect uh, an application or build a company from the ground up, there's a lot of different ways to sort of approach that problem. But using just the launches we talked about today, I feel like there's so many different powerful service updates and, and even uh, other announcements that help. So Let's set the stage. Yeah, I own Nick's Cloud Emporium, uh, Cloud Shoe Emporium. We sell lots of really amazing shoes, including an exclusive deal where where Kanye and Bezos are collaborating, uh, yeah. and offering an exclusive. Yeah. The first shoe, right? shoe worn on the on on Mars, so <laughs> right? Tentatively, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, pitch. Yeah. I hope I'm still employed by the next episode, but that, that's <laughs> what we're pitching, right? So. Um, I run this company and we're trying to sort of ramp up in anticipation for that huge drop. We're expecting a huge server load, but we had a launch that can help with our database services. Which one was that? Yeah, well, so we can now run your database using RDS for SQL Server on the Z1D instance, one of the most powerful cloud instances available. So we have lots of uh, vertical room to grow on a single instance, a single very, very powerful instance just to power your database so that we make sure that when your product releases, it doesn't go down as a result of this, the, the peak in demand. And by the way, we can generate that peak in demand because we're going to be sending out a personalized campaign across all these different channels, across email, SMS, push notification. It's going to be heavily personalized, and we know exactly which customers are most likely to interact with the campaign because we're using uh, template personalization. Wonderful. So everyone's going to be able to get served customization, customized messaging based on other shoes they may have searched for or looked at in the past. Now, yeah. uh, you know, I know we're, I said we're a really popular company, but... You know, we don't have any sales yet. We're actually really, really uh, close to our, our initialization. We're bootstrapping. I've got a nice $20 bill from a venture capitalist in my pocket, <laughs> uh, but it's not an accredited agency. So I'm actually really excited because now I can actually bootstrap my company with the AWS Founders Package. Yes. I can build my website and all my core infrastructure on $1,000 of free credit before I qualify for the Activate tier. And this is, again, a part of the new Founders Package that you can acquire before you upgrade to Activate down the line. I get some cloud credits and I get some trusted advisor checks so I can uh, have some insight as to whether my architecture will be fault tolerant come launch day for those new shoes. Yeah, definitely. And and the other thing is, uh, as, your, as your company grows and scales, you're going to have uh, you're going to be able to use some of the announcements we talked about today, such as the savings plan. Um, you mm -hmm. know, you're building it as a serverless application, so you're going to be able to take advantage of the savings plan, uh, which now covers uh, functions as a service with Lambda. Uh, you're going to be able to build if you can anticipate your your workload, then you're going to be able to get tremendous savings from doing that once you exceed the free tier, once you exceed the Activate program allowance. Uh, and then you're also, as, as you grow in complexity in terms of your IAM policies and your AWS organizations, you're going to be able to use stack sets with CloudFormation, and you're going to be able to take advantage of all the quality of life improvements that we've added there recently. Yeah, and then lastly, you know, when customers call up and they tell us, like, Nick, we love the shoes. They're amazing. I have so many recommendations for who you should collaborate with next. Uh, we're going to want to be able to make that customer experience on the phone as seamless as possible. So with these new attribute blocks for Amazon Connect, my developers, aka me, I can go and code these up really quickly with a 40% reduction in the amount of nodes I need to add to that contact flow. Yeah. So I can get those, those customer service lines out there faster to my customers and have them offering personalized experiences, whether it's through pinpoint or just manual sort of routing that I would want to sort of preface that with. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty promising. I, I kind of want to invest. Man, it's a good time to be a cloud shoe company I'll, I'll uh, in February I'll, of 2020. $20 for 80% stake in your company. All right, that's, that's an episode for another time. When we run AWS, what's next the startup ecosystem? Um, but that, that's a really where one. will Where will Nick's startup go next? <laughs> I feel like I need to start a Twitter account so everyone can follow along. We don't know what other launches are coming, but I think that's a great segue into sort of where we go from here. So again, thank you for tuning in if, you, if you've been following along with us this episode. This is episode one of AWS What's Next Live. Our take on being able to collate and, and boil down all of the exciting news and launches from AWS. Uh, this again being episode one, tune back in on either LinkedIn on our Amazon Web Services LinkedIn page or on Twitch at twitch.tv slash AWS. Absolutely. And you have our contact information if you want to reach out to either Nick or I on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, I am at the Nick Walsh. Uh, and Rob, you are? Uh, RBZU, R-B-Z-H-U. Yeah, and we'll be making announcements for anything related to What's Next Live. We hope to have some more nuanced sort of ways of be helping you get notified for upcoming episodes. But for now, just follow along on Twitter and you will be able to see any and all notifications related to this show and beyond. Excellent. All right, signing off and hope to see you next time. Yep, we'll see you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.